Hello, and welcome to episode 115 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is Derek, I got cold steel, Heemsbergen. Hell yeah, I do. And it is so cold, it is cool. It's cooler than cool, it's ice cold. Uh, holy crap, I'm so excited. Because, you know, we're really fortunate in that we get to play games pre-release a lot of the time. Um, especially, you know, we have good relationships with a couple of the more niche uh, publishers out there, like Exceed is one of them. And uh, so they're super cool, and they, they got us an early copy of it. And, oh, my God, this is one of those times when it's like, this isn't work. This is just me enjoying my life. I'm so fortunate, so grateful, um, and I'm excited to talk so about it today. Jealous. All right, it's all right, so good. All right, it's super right. good. Okay, settle down. He's got down cold here. steel. Yes, he does. He's got cold steel. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, <laughs> that was. I uh, am just working with the introduction that you gave, Rob. Oh, uh, all right. That's. Caitlin. I cannot claim credit. That's Caitlin, the Dark Knight, Argyros. Don't swear to Rob. Swear to me. Swear to me. <laughs> Where were the other drugs going? Where is she? You're never waking up to an ordinary citizen. Wow. Oh, okay. okay. Now that we've all tried to do that, I think I do it okay. I think I do it all right, but the problem is that then I just like need to go take a lozenge right afterward. Uh, and then we also have uh, Peter. I am Peter Treasonberg. Oh, I get it. <laughs> I, I guess that's the closest thing to a section no reference we're gonna get out of me. But hi, I'm Peter Treasonberg. I'm I have theory on the boards. And I'm here with the top five reasons why No Man's Sky is disappointing. Oh, jeez. No, 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 and then I figured I'd beaten that horse to death already. So. Here's here's the deal. Uh, clickbait is a real thing on the internet, and uh, I do not want to disparage against other sites, but uh, holy crap, uh, some of the negativity on the internet. Here, 15 minutes into the launch of No Man's Sky, here are the top 10 reasons why it sucks. Like, you, just, you went in with assumptions, and now yeah. you're just writing based on your I, I distinctly <laughs> remember saying that that game was going to disappoint everyone because it wasn't yeah. going to be what everybody expected, right? Yeah, well, I think you, that was a case yeah, of a uh, hype actually kind of killed that game. It was dead in the water when it arrived because it yeah. couldn't possibly have lived up to everybody's ridiculous expectations. People were expecting, like, TIE Fighter and Star Citizen and X-Wing and uh, all things to all men and women, and it was just mm. like, uh, no, no, that's actually not There's, what the game is. There's no way a procedurally generated exploration game is going to have like that level of incredible detail, you know, and all. Of it. It's like it's kind of like once you sense the pattern, it stops feeling, yeah. you know, like an adventure. And incidentally, I, listen, do you hear this? Do you hear this noise? That's me unwrapping my copy of the uh, No Man's Sky soundtrack that I bought on Amazon because it's the best part Ooh. of the game for me. All right, we don't want to talk about No Man's Sky anymore, but just everybody, please calm down on the internet. Like, just, just please relax you're, a little do bit. You realize what you're asking. Cool your oh, um, er, stuff. You know what I mean. So, so, Rob, so what it comes down to is Rob was right on No Man's Sky, and now the internet is turning the corner on Hitman and realizing that it is amazing and a great idea for episodic gaming. And uh, yeah, those Rob was right T-shirts are pretty awesome. Speaking of Rob was if right. You, if you if you mention Fallout 4, I am going going to reach through them, I can slap you. Yeah, uh, this podcast the, is over. I will say that the internet response has been incredibly cool to Fallout 4 in recent months, and I, I think I was a little ahead of the curve on that. Not a bad game. Not a bad game. Not a bad game. Tell me uh, more about the uh, weapon weights or whatever the hell you were so mad about that one time. But, but it, uh, oh, don't start. I'm just, I'm just uh, kidding. But now, uh, instead, of, instead of 
turning this into the Rob Was Always Right podcast, because I don't want to be accused of being a presumptive asshole, uh, presumptuous asshole, um, even though I can be sometimes, and I apologize for that. But, uh, no, I actually have good things to talk about today, so we're going to do uh, a little compliment sandwich. I got this all worked out. Little compliment sandwich for uh, the whipping boy of E3 2016, which was Final Fantasy 15. Um, so we started out last weekend with just the internet melting um, because there was this news breaking about a possible delay on the game, followed by internet forums going absolutely nuts. Well, I called 30 Game Stops and uh, it's not delayed, and yeah, it turned out to be delayed two months to uh, November 29th. Mm-hmm. And so here's the compliment sandwich. The first thing I got to say is, good on them for being uh, a little bit over a month out from release and realizing that that game needed more time. Yeah. Like that, that is the right response. It is okay to delay a game because you're going to get a better game as a result. I am sure that they had a ton of marketing push. I am sure that they had a ton of people breathing down their throats saying, you need to get this game out at this time. And instead they were like, okay, we're going to delay it a little bit. Yeah, and can you imagine like all of the, not not just the release of the game itself, because they had all the the promo materials out there with that date on it, but like, think about the strategy guide came out at the same time, so I'm sure they had to talk to Brady Games. They had Kingsglaive coming out in the deluxe edition, so they had to push the release of that, technically, push that back. Like, there, there's a lot going into this, and it's more than just the idea that they wanted to delay it. It's like they had all these marketing partners and tie-ins and stuff that were affected by it. So I'm sure they did not make that decision lightly. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think it's a good decision. And, you know, it's it's a little painful, but I think, again, in the can the Internet please calm down a little bit? People saying that they were going to cancel their pre-orders or, oh, my God, this is so terrible. I mean, yeah, it is a little bit of egg on their face for having that awful reveal thing a couple months back <laughs> about the release date, where they hinted that it might come out in November and then said September. That was kind it's of... Funny. It makes the whole thing seem that much more gaudy in retrospect. It, yeah. it does. But it, which, I, which is, yeah, whatever. But, like, it sucks. It's the realities of game design. Now, the only way that I'm able to accept that, though, sorry to cut you off, Rob, is just that, the, like, that Tabata put out that, that video explaining the reasoning behind the decision because, like, calming gullible or whatever, but the way that he actually was addressing the people who cared about his game seemed, like, genuinely... He seemed like he regretted doing it. Not regretted, but, like, you know, he was anguished over it. It wasn't just like a, oh, yeah, whatever, we're going to push it back because we feel like it. It was like, okay, look, we know that we told you this, and we're going to acknowledge that we screwed up. Mm -hmm. So, sorry, but the game needs to not be bad when it launches. Yeah, it came came across as very honest. But how do you guys feel about the primary reason being to put a day one patch in the game? So that's where the the business world uh, compliment sandwich comes in, where we start off with a good thing that they did, we then give them a criticism, and then we give them something good again. The kind of... I don't even know how to explain this, but the reasoning saying, oh, we want to put the day one patch on the disc, I'm sitting there putting my hand up going, you need two months to put the day one patch on the disc? That doesn't sound right. Like, I, well, they I haven't. Th- they haven't made the patch yet. They were going to be working on it up until some, uh, the release date. Right. I, I don't know. This. This. I don't know when the game is going gold. There were reports that the game was going gold on other websites. I did not see an official statement that the game had gone gold. Tabata Maybe. himself said that they finished the master when he announced the delay. That doesn't necessarily mean printing, though, does no, it? No, but it means, I mean, that's the, that, that's the major step. Once you right. finalize it on right. the disc, then it goes to, to printing and distribution and shipping and all that good stuff. 
Yeah, and so I, I think that the reasoning, it, it kind of makes sense to me a little bit, but it, it almost seems like, okay, they needed two more months to optimize this game. Everybody that played it at the uh, Gamescom demo, which was uh, about a week or two ago, everybody said that like they really liked what they played, but it clearly needed some optimizations. I think that's totally understandable. And taking an extra few months to do that seems perfectly reasonable. But I don't really buy this uh, day one patch stuff. Or at the very least, it sounds like that might be one piece of a much larger argument that maybe Square Enix doesn't want to admit, which is, you know, the game needs a little bit more time in the oven. That that happens sometimes. That's totally reasonable. But this seems like a little... Like, I, I'm giving them the, the shifty eye. It, it doesn't help that they announced the delay like right after um, revealing that they had a season pass planned for DLC that they were pretty vague about, um, it, like, they only they released little brief descriptions of what these DLC pieces were going to be, and said that they were, they weren't developing them during the course of the game's main development, it was going to come out later, but it's still something that I think, uh, especially, like, as because the AAA gaming market does this all the time, I think we've become rightfully suspicious of it. Well, it's just frustrating to know, like, that they even have plans for something that they are, they're intentionally doing after the fact, and going to charge money for it. And they, they, they say that they're not, you know, the point of it isn't to uh, to screw us over. They're saying, like, they're all working on this after the fact. They want they say that the game will be complete at launch. And, you know, to a, a certain degree, I, I believe them, but it's just, like, knowing that there's more in the pipeline that isn't available at launch, is it's a little frustrating. It's like, well, how integral are those things, then? Are they really going to be so superfluous that... I could theoretically never play any of those DLC packs and get the full game experience. Like, probably not. Well, yeah. like, and, they mentioned, and they mentioned like an expansion pack is one of the the descriptors, and it's like, what does that what does that mean exactly? It's supposed to that? change the game or something. See Final Fantasy 15 in a whole new light. And well, I when like, they changed it after the fact to say like it was an online expansion pack. Yeah, what is that? Can you play as dog? Mm. I want I, to play as dog and eat kebabs on I, the streets of whatever. I can't wait. I can't wait to frag some noobs in Final Fantasy 15. Frag some Don't do that. Don't do that. The tie-in with Doritos is coming up soon. Well, and and I'm also feeling a little hurt right now about season passes in general because uh, Green Man Gaming had Deus Ex Mankind divided like the the super ultra pack on like Super Sale for mm-hmm. like 67 bucks instead of 90, and so I picked it up. And then I looked at the season pass, and it was like two story missions that are coming in 2017, and then all of these like credits and praxis. Uh, kits at the beginning of the game, and I was just like, ugh. Like, ooh, ooh. If I didn't get this for seven bucks more than the the retail price of the game, I was going to be a little pissed off. So, yeah. you know, on the one hand, you have Square Enix doing some really, really great work. I brought it up at the start of the show, but I think what they've done with Hitman has been incredibly awesome, and they're talking about doing more seasons of that. That's great. The season pass nonsense right now with Mankind Divided seems pretty bad, and I don't know which side of Final Fantasy XV that's going to fall on. I mean, that's two different branches of Square Enix, but I'm not, you know, ready to con- ready to commit to that just yet. So now that that all said, that all said, let's go back to the compliment sandwich. As somebody who has not had hardly any emotional reaction to Final Fantasy XV at all based on all the footage that they've shown. I thought the hour-long gameplay demo that they showed off looked pretty damn great. I was like, wow, 
this looks like a game. Like I, I know we had we had kind of all rolled our eyes when they said that they were going to put the wait mode in the the game, but that seemed pretty well implemented, and I liked the fact that it gave Noctis the chance to zip around the environment. Uh, the demo was a little hunt heavy, which kind of had me flashing back to Final Fantasy XII, which will make Caitlin happy, but fills me with nothing but dread. No, um, hunts are good. Shut up. Yeah, like the first five times you do them, and then they kind of get a little... Uh... Just, just think of them like... Why it's called like a side quest, Rob. You don't have to keep doing it. Yeah, but if it's the same side quest over and over again with no story pieces, I, I'm just, you know... Oh, and, and, hey, in 12 they do. Yeah, but like... I thought that what I saw of 15 looked like a game that I actually wanted to play. Um, Noctis was walking around with a white shirt. I was like, hey, yes. some color. Um, I, I know we've we've been uh, really blasting. Uh, is it Sydney or Cindy? I can never Cindy. get it. Cindy. Cindy. Cindy, yeah. We, we were all kind of blasting her uh, character design, but I thought her voice work was phenomenal. Like, she kind of sounds like a, a smart version of Dolly Parton, which I really, really... I mean, no, Dolly Parton is incredibly intelligent, but she plays up that whole, you know, bluegrass, country gal sort of thing. And I thought Cindy, like, really had a great voice actress job. I think the voices overall were pretty good. Um, oh, it, I, think, I think Gladiolus sounded really off. Did you see the the trailer they released today with the voice actors? The voice actors, yeah, he's all, he, it's not his natural voice at all. He's he's right. gruffing it up intentionally, probably at their direction. But the weird thing is, is that I don't like how he sounds, but Noctis sounds so much better than whoever they had as a placeholder before. Yeah, no, definitely, and and I, 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 for the most part, I think the cast sounds really good and. And I'm I'm calling it now. Um, Arden, uh, purple hair, top hat, uh, feather guy is gonna be one of my new favorite Final Fantasy villains. Just based on, <laughs> just, just based on his voice. <laughs> it it looks it looks like a good game. Like yeah. I'm not sure how much I'm going to love it, uh, but it at least looks like the pieces of that game have come together. I did get a little bit of a Metal Gear Solid 5 vibe the entire time I was watching it, which was like, hey, look at all these great systems and ideas, and there's fishing, and there's hunts, and there's the car, and there's all this. And, you know, we talked a little bit about MGS5 and how I really feel like that is the best playing game with no reason to play it because the story the story is crap, the encounters are boring, the mission design is terrible, and the boss fights are the worst in the entire franchise. So it's like... I actually thought about that when I was watching the video, Rob, because um, uh, remember in the early Metal Gear Solid Five videos, they like fast-forwarded through those chunks of traveling yep. to, get to, the, to get to the goods, and then there was a lot of cuts in the 15 video, and, and I was talking to Steven about it, and he said, like, and it seemed like it was like for story spoilers from yeah. Kingsley, yeah. but... I just hope that the game, like we've seen those those uh, initial videos of Final Fantasy 15, where like you know Leviathan was attacking the city and like everything was just going crazy. I don't know how much of that is actually in this game, and I don't want to I don't want to presume to voice one way or another when it comes to that. But I think the the systems are all there. I just hope that there's meaningful reasons to engage in these systems. If it is just a collection of hunts and go out and do this, and then there's a couple story beats, I'm going to be very disappointed. Like, I, I want there to be more to this game than just, hey, look at all these great systems. And I, I really did have a lot of flashbacks to MGS5 that have me a little, a little nervous, but at least those gameplay systems in 15 look good right now. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm still very optimistic about it. I mean, the the delay is a bummer to be sure, but uh, it's it's nothing. I mean, two months is nothing if it means the game is going to be in a much better state. And I think that I would rather have it make a stronger first impression and keep me hooked all the way through than have them like patch in stuff two months down the line and and have me feel better about it then. Because I just I want the full complete Final Fantasy 15 experience right out of the gate, and I think that's. It's fair that they've decided to delay it a bit. I have other stuff to play anyway. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, sure. yes, we all over. have. I mean, come on. Like, September alone already has uh, Shin Megami Tensei 4 Apocalypse, Dragon Quest 7, and Trails of Cold Steel 2, so whatever. Like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't need a fourth there. RPG that month. We, yeah. we don't need any more games to play. Yeah. And I, mean, I mean that in a very loving way. And the best thing I can say about this is that before they released that video, I was... I was gonna get it, but I wasn't really looking forward to it, and it's just kind of like, uh, it's just gonna take my t- my attention away from Trails of Cold Steel 2, nah. And after watching the video, I was kind of like, actually a little bummed that it's not coming out in September, and that I that we have to wait an extra two months. I'm like, I I actually want to play your game now, Square. Good job. I'm all right with it skipping out in September, but now it's gonna cut into my Pokemon time, so I'm gonna I know. rush That's through Sun or Moon, whichever one I end up getting. First world. I do not have these problems. I know, because you're you're an anti Pokemon meanie McMean face. I'm not anti I'm not anti Pokemon, I'm just sort I of know. you know, Pokemon a, agnostic. No Vulpix in the new one. <laughs> no Vulpix Pokemon agnostic. It just okay. it's it's there and I appreciate it, but I don't get into it. I I think the Pokemon Go madness is all is very hilarious. Yeah, I uninstalled that. <laughs> Me too. Dialing back, though, I, I too hope that 15 ends up being the, the complete experience we all want it to be. Um, I'm a little concerned about the story, unless based on what we've seen of the story and more because of the fact that Kings Live, the, the, the movie, exists. Yes. Um, because it seems fairly evident, to me at least, that this... that a lot of cut story content from the game made it into the movie. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's concerning. Um, it also seems like... It, it was funny. The initial reviews for Kingslave were very positive, and, yeah. then, and then everybody else saw it and was just like... <laughs> and I mean, sifting, sifting through, like, your film... I'm, I'm not the kind of person who's like, film critics and audiences don't mesh. No, I, don't, I, don't, I think that's... A, I, don't, I don't agree with that at all. Critics are audience members too, but in terms of like what the reviews for King's Glaive are telling me is that there is no way that this universe is going to gel with a general audience. And I don't think I think if Square's banking on Final Fantasy 15 making a tri- making like a triple A like a typical triple triple A launch, then I don't know if that's going to work out in their favor because the the two things I've been taking away from the reception to King's Life is that it feels very much like it's part of another story. It doesn't really stand on its own. And uh, no, normal people still don't get into Final Fantasy. Maybe normal wasn't the right word, but... It's like your average non-gamer. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I'm trying. That's what I was trying to get across. Yeah, it's not as inviting of a world as say Mass Effect or Dragon Age or Skyrim. Like I, I don't think that. That's why I, I was having this uh, discussion with Steven. Uh, it's like he never left, guys. And and I said <laughs> I, I said I think there's a very real possibility that Persona Five outsells Final Fantasy Fifteen. Um, not just because Final Fantasy, uh, not just because Persona Five is on PlayStation Three and uh, PlayStation Four. 
but also because I, I think the Final Fantasy brand has taken a serious beating in recent years. Now, 14 has done a great job of bringing people back, but again, we've mm-hmm. talked about that before. That's an MMO. A lot of people have not played a Final Fantasy that they have enjoyed since 10. I mean, 12 was divisive. I, I know it has a lot of fans. Caitlin, I'm not, I'm not throwing any stones. 13, more divisive. Um, I, I think verging on the side of not really appreciated. Then you had 13-2 and Lightning Returns. It's been a long time, and maybe that means a lot of people are going to come to the fold, but I... I think that Final Fantasy has moved from being mainstream, which it was in the PS1 and PS2 days, I think that it's gone back to being a niche title. And meanwhile, Persona is right now, you know, breaking down the door of becoming mainstream, where you see a lot more coverage of Persona, people flipping out. I have not watched any of the videos that they've been releasing for the past three weeks for that game. I know I'm going to buy it. And I'm not saying that Persona 5 is going to outsell Final Fantasy 15 2 to 1. That's not what I'm arguing here. But I'm saying I think there is a very real possibility that Persona 5 outsells 15 by a little bit because of the negative view of the Final Fantasy uh, series right now. And, and I hope that 15 does, I obviously hope that 15 does well, and I think Square really wants the game then to be, to put the series back on the pedestal. Sure, so sure. Um, yeah. But it just, it, it just, it's been interesting seeing reception to King's Glade and like people, that for some people, this is who haven't been following Final Fantasy 15 like as much as like we have, then like this is their first reaction to this lore and this universe, and the reaction seems to be just kind of confusion. Mm-hmm. And 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 that I mean I'm no stranger to, to terrible Final Fantasy movies. I'm looking at my my extended Blu-ray cut of Advent Children for crying oh. out <laughs> Hey, that's a fun movie to watch. Okay, uh, it, it is. It, it doesn't is. deliver. It, okay, <laughs> you cannot. You absolutely I, I, cannot deny that it is at least not fun to look at. No, I I, I and, and this I, cuts a half hour longer. I mean, I remember sitting in my buddy's basement watching Advent Children and going, yeah, this is pretty, but this is like glorified fan fiction. And we all, we all know the only reason, the only reason that this whole thing was made was so that we could get to, man, isn't it going to be cool when we show Cloud and Sephiroth fighting and we have one winged angel playing in the background? For no reason! And I, I, I don't know. I, I was down on Advent Children when it came out. I'm not one of those people that said it was amazing and then went back on it. I thought it was crap when I first saw it. And right. I was I, I have I have hated the the continuation of the Final Fantasy VII story to drive home with a baseball bat everything that I love about that game and just continuing to pick it apart and add to it and retcon it and just ah and 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 again. I think The Spirits Within, the Final Fantasy movie released way back when, I think that movie would have done significantly better and would have been better appreciated if it just wasn't called Final Fantasy. As a straight sci-fi movie, it's like a C plus, B minus, perfectly harmless, like not actually a bad film. James Woods, you're great. I love you. Uh, but like, that's great. Alec Baldwin is Alec Baldwin. Um, I just remember that I just rediscovered that Donald Sutherland was in that movie. Yeah, he was Sid, and that that's fantastic. And so, and he's a great Sid, and so and Steve Buscemi's in it, and that is a beautiful 
sci-fi movie that is unfortunately named Final Fantasy. And that's a real shame because, you know, I think that movie's better than Titan AE, if you guys remember that movie. Right? Uh, no. I think, I think you're being a little hard on Titan AE. Yeah. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I love Don Bluth, don't get me wrong, but, like, I don't, I don't think that's a very good movie. Um, but, but again... We'll I, talk about I, this later. Yeah, we'll do it, <laughs> we'll, we'll do it later. Um, but I, I just think that... I think Peter's hit on something here. I think that people's first exposure to this world is Kingsglaive right now. And again, I could just see that being a major turnoff. And now with the game releasing in November after Last Guardian, Dishonored 2, and all of the JRPGs that are going to kind of fill in for what people kind of want out of this game, your Dragon Quest VII, Shin Megami Tensei IV Apocalypse, and Persona 5 being right around the corner... I don't want this game to fail, and I don't think it's going to be a failure by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I'm a little worried about its sales numbers and its sales potential. It I'd be more worried about how Square interprets the sales numbers than that, the numbers themselves. Yeah. We, we've too. seen their delusion about what constitutes a success. Now, granted, <laughs> they put a sh- crap ton. There we go. I, I say <laughs> Of money into this. So maybe it's a perfect storm where you could sell maze balls and they would still think it's a financial failure. But uh, yeah, I I wouldn't want to be whichever executive is in charge of like looking at the numbers and saying yay or nay. Yeah. On this. And I don't, I don't, I don't envy Tabata when that sort of decision comes down as to was your game a financial success, yes or no? Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll just let Yoshi P make 16. Oh yes! my god. Please! That would be incredible. Oh! I, don't know, I don't know who that is. I, I said... I've been the, 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 the director, producer? Of uh, yeah. 14. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Okay. I've said it before. We know there's there's going to be like a, a crossover event in 14, no doubt, but there should be something in 15. I was telling people on Twitter, Yoshi P should be in the game, like a random NPC that you find, and when you find him, you can get your picture taken with him by Prompto, and his speciality is taking pictures. Oh my god, that's so How awesome would that be? What, what I want is a developer's room, like the one in Chrono Trigger, where like Nomura's just off in a corner doodling. Belts. Putting, Belts putting on <laughs> Belts wearing belts. Yeah, you oh, get a belts. legendary. You get a legendary belt. that's just five belts in one. And you get a legendary belt. And you get a legendary belt. Someone pointed out that Namira wasn't credited in King's Boy. That was Ooh. interesting. So yeah, uh, fifteen delayed to November twenty ninth. I think the delay is a good thing. Uh, I really want that game to be successful. A uh, lot of questions still up in the air, but that hour long demo. Why the hell didn't you guys show that at E three? Like, I, I I don't know. I think you come out of E3 way more positive if you show that demo instead of whatever the hell they decided to show us to begin with. But anywho, uh, so getting back to games that are actually out right now, uh, my review of Sheeran the Wanderer, I have to look up the full title. The of The Tower one. of Fortune and the Dice of Fate. Thank you, thank you. Uh, that review is live. Uh, I liked it a lot. I really, and I'm so really like surprised. I really I, am. Yeah, <laughs> I am too, honestly. Um, so I, I'll tell you why, Derek. I, I think that the reason I like this game so much is because it is just the right level of uh, super, super intense turn-based action 
where every move matters and you can easily die in a heartbeat in this game. But it does a lot of things and gives you a lot of tools to mitigate that level of destruction that could bring you down and get rid of all of your stuff. Um, the game, unfortunately, does a very bad job of steering you toward the point shop in the first town, which is where you can get an item that, when you fall in battle, will allow you to go back with all of your equipment to the start of the main story dungeon, and so you don't lose anything, and you can continue to power up your gear. Without that, the game is stupidly hard and insanely frustrating, and even with that, there are occasions where you will lose your equipment. I just recently, uh, in my playthrough, uh, my super sword got turned into a rice ball, um, which I was very, very pissed off about. Um, Yeah, that that feels a little cheap. I I don't like the way the post-game dungeons unlock, and that's, that's one of those things that... Uh, the community needs to really analyze that stuff and figure out exactly how to do it. And so I was trying to meet one of the parameters for opening up a post-game dungeon, and you have to use a specific sword to do that, and like an idiot, I brought my super powerful sword along, and I lost it. So yeah, that sucks. Um, But recovering from those kind of giant monumental missteps are actually not that bad in this game, and you can level up a sword to the same level of power in just an hour or two, if you're doing it smart. And so, you know, that takes the sting of the loss out. Um, and the game's all about preparation. If you really spend a lot of time preparing, bringing the right scrolls, you know, making sure that you have stuff to handle the nighttime atmosphere of the game so you don't get obliterated and one-shotted by super tough enemies, it really rewards you thinking and planning your way through the game. And I really, really like it for that. Um, now that said, because I love this game so much, I went and picked up the DS version, uh, Mystery Dungeon, Sheer in the Wander, which is a DS remake of the original Super Famicom game that we never got. And I've put about two hours into that, and I have found that infinitely more frustrating because I still haven't opened up the proper way to save my equipment. So there's a lot more trial and error in this game than there is in uh, the Vita game that just released this year. And, and I think that that's one of the reasons why I like this version of the game so much more, is because there are those roguelike elements, there are dungeons that are pure rogue experiences where you start all over again and lose all your equipment, but the main story path has the means necessary to protect your time investment. And that is the best aspect of this game. Uh, Derek, did you find the point shop when you played the game briefly, or did you give up because it didn't do a good job sending you there? Uh, well, kind of a little bit of both. I found it, but I didn't really investigate it thoroughly until mm-hmm. you and I were messaging back and forth, and you were like, no, seriously, look at it. Because I had, I had unlocked it. I just didn't really look at what they had to offer. Uh, so, yeah, once, once I realized that you could just carry your point card with you and then step on the traps and do all that stuff, I was like, oh, okay. So it, uh, I think it would have helped me get in a better mindset if I had found that earlier. But I, I honestly ended up giving up on the game pretty quickly, um, cool. which is nuts. I don't do that very often, but I was uh, probably like three hours in. I was just like, nope, I'm done. Uh, I, I think it is super charming, and I absolutely love the aesthetics. Like, the pixel art is beautiful, um, and I, I think that it's not a bad game. I just think that it wasn't what I wanted to play, and I was like, meh. Whatever. And, and the first few hours of the game are much more of a grind, um, and maybe that's what I'm facing right now with the DS version, and uh, or the DS original game, and I can get over that hump. But I, I was feeling, you know, a little little prickly at it at the start, where I was just like, huh, okay, I just died 
and I lost everything. Now I got to do it all over again. But then I think once you get through the the three towers at the start of the game, that's when it really starts to open up. You get some new upgrade paths. You start getting the tools necessary to make the long journey all the way up. But I, I can totally understand why it would be a turnoff. Like yeah. it, and, and it if I would have powered through. If I would have powered through those first three, then it probably would have been better, because I only beat the first tower. And I tried the second a bunch and died a bunch, and I was like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, and, and it is an investment game. It's a game where you you kind of you buy those undo grasses. I usually keep, like, three or four of them. So, like, I'll fall once in combat and be like, okay, let's figure out if I want to go back to town. Eh, let's push it. Like, the last boss in the game, I just brought ten of those things, and he didn't even knock me down once. So it was just like, okay, I got you. You're, you're not going to take me out. So it, it does not do a good job of explaining those systems at the start. The game does not have a community set up the way uh, another game series that I really like uh, has a community kind of dedicated to helping new players. Sidestepping that one. <laughs> see, I totally didn't mention Dark Souls, guys. See see how good I did there? See how good I did there? But uh, with a community like that in place, I, I could find this game uh, much, much more approachable. And for the love of God, why is this game only ad hoc? That blows my mind. Like, weird. I, I Like, it actively pisses me off because I would love to play this game. Like, Derek, I think you and I would have a blast playing it together. Yeah, um, I'd have way more fun with it if I could. Yeah, and that is a real bummer on this game. Uh, but I really like it, and it kind of had me um, thinking about... I, I like the aesthetic of the game, too, that kind of very pixel art uh, uh, Japanese uh, flair, but I would kind of prefer this game to have, like, a horror vibe. Uh, I was thinking... Or, like, a Shin Megami Tensei vibe, because it does kick your teeth in so hard that it's kind of weird to be, like, beat up by a rabbit wearing a top hat in this game. Like and have that be, like, the ultimate evil enemy that could ruin your whole day. Like, there's something really charming about that, but I think you could go for, like, a Cthulhu-style game or something, like, really nasty, like, almost a Resident Evil-style game with this uh, mystery dungeon-style vibe. I think that would be really, really gnarly and really cool. Like, they they need... Chuns, Spike Chunsoft needs to go up to Atlas and just be like, hey, why well, don't they could, take... They could do Ropa Mystery Dungeon. That would be cool. That you yeah. go up, you know, start, start stabbing people with pool cues and stuff. Like that would be really cool. Or I, I just feel like there's you could fit the world of Shin Megami Tensei so well in this game, and that that aesthetic for post-apocalyptic Japan would fit right in with the mystery dungeon style gameplay. I think that would be really really cool. Uh, Peter, did you check this game out at all or no? Uh, not really. I've 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 I've, I've I haven't really played any roguelites. Like, the closest thing I've gotten was the first Dark Cloud, and that just only has, like, really light randomization elements. I wouldn't really call it a roguelike. But um, I know they made, like, six Pokemon games in this one, and I'm, and I'd wonder why... Uh, I agree, SMT, I think, would be a really good fit for that. Yeah, and and the Mystery Dungeon... The Pokemon Mystery Dungeon games don't seem to be uh, very well regarded. Maybe I'm misreading that, but it doesn't seem like... People are there's, hugely into those. There's a, there's a there's a niche for them, I think, but yeah, they're not they're not like nearly as popular as the main games. They're okay. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a game. Mm-hmm. It's a game. It's a game. You play a role. You play a role. So I really like this game. Uh, it's going to be pretty high up there for my game of the year contenders. Um, had a great time with it, but I totally understand why people would bounce off of it. Uh, I'd say give it a shot. 
And for those, like, super hardcore rogue players who are going to be like, it's way too easy, like, oh, yeah, just wait till you get to the post-game dungeons, dude. Like, those dungeons are just frightful. Like, they, they are almost too much to handle, and I will probably never beat all of them, but there is so much content in this game that I could play it for hundreds of hours. Like, it's it's absolutely insane how big this game is, but um, huge recommendation for me. Uh, really, really enjoyed it, and then the uh, the only other quick hit I have is uh, uh, my buddy Nathan and I, we started playing uh, Divinity Original Sin online, and yeah, that game needs to be just played co-op. I don't know why I was screwing around trying to play that game, uh, by myself. It is way too finicky and obnoxious, and I do not like controlling four party members with four inventories and four different sets of skills. I don't like that level of micromanagement and playing... That's too much. You're just fiddling with knobs and switches and, and this and that, and I just... You know, some people love it. pushing buttons. I, I don't want to do that, and so... But playing Divinity with my buddy online has been a blast. Like we have just been having a ball with that game. So I'm sure I'm sure when Steven hears this he'll be like, That's what I've been trying to tell you. Yeah, but Steven played it by himself and he was giving me crap for not liking controlling four party members at <laughs> once and like making sure that I put them into precise locations for the start of every combat encounter, and then I have to throw this barrel at this other guy and make sure that I do it correctly. Like and also we're playing it on easy, which I think is the way to play that game, because it the combat encounters at the start are just way too hard. Like, that that game is just frustrating at the very start. Like, oh, if you try to go up against this one encounter before this other one, you'll die. Have fun. Like, it gives the illusion of being open-ended without being open-ended, and uh, I really hope that now, today, they announced uh, Divinity Original Sin 2. The early access date is September 15th. I really hope that they've opened the game up a little bit, because that, that game is so, so cool but it's it's almost frustratingly linear at the start and i know screaming uh, screaming i know steven is screaming right now at us uh and saying that's the way it's supposed to be but like it's not fun it it's not like this is also steven who played fire emblem to the point where he just wanted to cry so like steven who plays on the highest difficulty possible because he finds it fun he wants to find the dark souls of dark we souls we love you for it steven but we do. We do. i mean <laughs> i thought i was a mask <laughs> I, I can't I can't do that. Uh, so uh, that's it for me. Uh, Derek, tell us about the cold steels. Please. Oh, man, it's so good. Okay, so I will repeat that I am incredibly grateful and fortunate that I get to play this game early. This is one of those times where the reviewing gig is really, really more than I could have ever hoped for. So yeah, I've got Cold Steel too. It is um, fantastic. It starts off immediately following the end of Cold Steel One. Um, Technically, it's a month later as the main character has been asleep for a month. That's all I'll say. And uh, stuff picks up right from there, so they jump right into the action very quickly. I don't want to talk too much about the story just because um, I know a couple of you haven't finished it, and uh, I'm sure, I mean, a lot of our listeners may not have finished it. And there's so many. so close. Yeah, there. The E3 trailer, it spoils the whole thing. Oh, yeah, please don't. And the website, don't go to the website either. Spoilers. Yeah, yeah, the website is spoilery too. This is the part where being being in news actually is a detriment to my Mm. spoiler avoidance. Right, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, there are a lot of really wide reaching events in the last couple of hours of Cold Steel 1 that set the stage for the sequel. And they're they're immediately, like, they start um, answering some questions you may have had right away. Um, They jump into the action very fast. So the the game, um, some things that I'm noticing about it are the pacing, to me, is better. 
Um, I liked the sort of meditative pace of the of the first one, and that you had it had the school system. Like for those of you who aren't aware, Trails of Cold Steel, uh, what sixth in the Trails series of uh, Legend of Hero games. So this most recent one had you set in a school where you had all your classmates, and it was very Persona esque. You could bond with people. Um, you spent your free days in the game, like choosing who you want to interact with and all that kind of stuff. So Cold Steel 2, um, you're not in school anymore. So what you do is uh, the story is advancing. Like basically, all of the the characters have been separated by the events at the end of Cold Steel 1. So you start the game by searching for them. And little by little, you're reuniting with each of your classmates, and you're finding out more about this sort of war that has started in the land of Erebonia. So I I really can't say much more than that, story-wise. I am still... I am in Act 1 of the game. I don't know how long the acts are, but they are way longer than the previous game's chapters. I'm in Act 1, and I have 18 hours on the clock. So... Uh, it's it's either set to be longer than the first one, or they've just sort of broken it up differently. But I'm still I'm still looking for a couple of characters to rejoin my party in in the game, and that's 18 hours in. Like the so it's definitely I mean it, it is definitely a trails game in that it is it's slow burning, but stuff is constantly happening because I'm going to to places one after the other, and and events are happening that do impact the major story that you know like the overall story arc will all at the same time checking in with each character's subplot, and, uh, you know, Trails games are incredibly rich in lore, and they're doing a great job of keeping me interested and invested, and I haven't felt like things are moving too slowly at any point yet. It is still slower than a lot of RPGs out there by the very nature of the Trails series, but uh, it it works for me, and I think that if you liked Cold Steel and you felt like that was a little bit slow, this should rectify some of those issues for you. So, uh... Other new things in this that are really cool, um, you've got a couple of new things in battle. Basically, uh, you can link characters together as in the previous game, but there's something new called the overdrive gauge. When it fills up, uh, your characters can go into overdrive mode where uh, a linked pair can have three turns in a row. They get their uh, HP and MP totally restored, and all the attacks will automatically trigger like the follow-ups and stuff. So it's a very powerful uh, trump card that you can play. But the only catch is that a, there's a gauge for it that fills up kind of slowly like over the course of several battles, and that's fine. And B, um, you actually have to undertake something of a wide-reaching side quest to unlock them. There are these things called trial chests throughout the world, and each trial chest has a, a, a specific boss battle for a specific pair of characters that they have to overcome together. So there's like, okay, here's Elliot and Machias' trial chest, and once they beat that boss, just the two of them, then they can start using Overdrive together. Um, oh, you had to fight the boss with just the two characters? Right, with just the two of them. Ooh, that could be really challenging depending on the, the pairings. Yes, which is, I like that a lot. What's that? I was going to say they're facing themselves. Yes. <laughs> I get it. It's a Persona reference. Uh, Sorry, that yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, you should have hit me with the guitar riffs or something. No. Uh, yeah, so so it's a really neat little challenge, um, and I and like Caitlin says, it's it's fun to strategize using those particular pairs of characters because sometimes it's like I don't know that I ever had those two characters in my party at the same time in Cold Steel One, and now I got to figure out how to make them work together. Uh, the nice thing is that everybody can do overdrive with Reen, the main character from the start, so you don't have to. It's not like some system that you're unlocking really piecemeal throughout the entire game, and you never have full access to. Like if you want to do it with Reen, you can, but all the other characters have their own little quests, uh, you know, optional battles, which is cool. Um, probably the more important function, and the one that I still haven't gotten to 18 hours into the game, is there is very much a base construction element a la Suikoden. 
because Ooh. all of the characters from the academy in uh, the Thor's military academy in Cold Steel 1 have been scattered throughout the country. And you recruit them one by one, and they come back to an airship that's like your central hub, and they will do things like unlock shops for you and other bonus features. I don't know a lot because I, I've been trying to keep myself from being too spoiled about it, but I know that they unlock shops and other features, it is said. So um, you're, you're sort of reassembling the far-flung student body piece by piece, which I think is incredibly compelling, considering what's happening with the narrative. Um, yeah, the Jason Scryer, the guy from Kotaku, was comparing the game to Suikoden 2, which I know from him is, like, the highest of all high praise. <laughs> right, so, yeah, he loves that it, game. And Suikoden 2 is amazing, so... I, I, need, I still need to play it. I have it. And I still and I need to play Gold Steel because your enthusiasm is infectious. Yeah, I, I really I really do need to need to play these games. Yeah, yeah Rob does too. Well, I, and hearing that Cold Steel Two kind of picks up maybe a little bit faster, I put maybe four or five hours into Cold Steel One and I liked it, but it was just, oh boy, like. Well, they're very they're very long and. I, the word the term keeps coming up with slow burning games. I know that Cold Steel One took me eighty hours to beat, but I mean I was being I was being really meticulous with oh. talking to everybody all the oh, time. I think you were. I'm in chapter six and I'm over a hundred hours. <laughs> but now I maybe I just didn't I didn't really gel with like combat in the game. Like I I just found it to be a little dull. Does it kind of pick up a little bit? Because I just feel like I'm doing the same. Oh, it'll pick up for you even in Cold Steel because you haven't unlocked all the different uh, uh, rush and follow up attacks that you can I think, do with yeah, pairs. It, it just felt very vanilla at, at the start. And like I know there's more to it, but it it's kind of it was kind of doing the Final Fantasy 13 thing to me a little bit, where I was like, okay, like. I get it. I, I need I need some more gingerbread. I need to have some more more stuff to do with this. Whereas I think the SMT games actually, and especially with the recent ones, those games have just done a great job of really hitting you with that. If you use the right spell on the right enemy, you will just knock them all over, and that is so satisfying to me when I'm playing a JRPG. And I think that's why I've really shifted my attention to those titles in recent years. Mm. Yeah, I mean the. Cold Steel does open up more, but it, it's not going to be the same kind of weakness exploitation mechanic. Right. right. Um, I, just, I mean, I you can I, exploit weaknesses. I'm, really oh, not yeah. even sure if, I'm not even sure if I'm playing it right, honestly. Like, I'm just kind of, like, going through the battles, and I'm like... I, I think maybe I got to, like, the first major boss, and I, I was just taking forever to kill him. And I think maybe we talked about this on the show a few episodes ago. Like One of our new editors... Uh, Samer, I think, it, well, he was posting screenshots of his playthrough where he had boss fights that went up to, like, 30 minutes, so I don't think it's just you. Yeah. Boss fights are noticeably harder than other encounters in the game. They they should take you longer. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it just... I, I want to well, give it another shot. I, I want to give it another shot. I did like what I played. I did like so it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish this point of discussion with a, another compliment sandwich to steal your term because I like that. Um, so there, there are two, two more good things I'd like to bring up and one kind of middling thing. So one of the good things is um, if you're bored with battles, I will say there is a new battle system that uh, happens in the second game. And it is, it's still, it's based on, it's like the same framework, but um, it is definitely different. It's really cool. Yes, it is really cool. And it, it it's a huge kind of thematic callback to uh 
a game from the past that a lot of people hold very dear, or a series, I guess, but even saying what game it is is like a huge spoiler because you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Yes. So there, there I is know a what new, game you're talking about. Right, yes. There's a new battle type, uh, and that's cool, and I like it a lot, and it actually opens up more than I expected it to. There's like a, a couple more layers of strategy that have popped up for me as, as far as I've gone in the game. So that's something to look forward to. Um, on top of that... Or, or, okay, so moving on to the middle of the compliment sandwich is... Uh, I'm playing the Vita version because that's the one that they sent me. Uh, I would have preferred... I mean, if I had to, if I could pick, I would pick PS3, but I'm, I'll take whatever they're willing to give me. The Vita version has some really severe and noticeable frame rate issues. Um, oh. The first game, I thought, had some problems, but I feel like this is even worse. Uh, they're super plentiful, like, constantly in battle and in larger areas, especially, like, the Nord Highlands. Uh, the frame drops are just constant. Like, it's running pretty poorly. That, it's enough really, that I... That's really I can, frustrating. It I, is frustrating. I bought, I bought one on on the Vita, and now I'm like, oh. Well, keep you in can... mind, I'm playing a, a pre-release copy, so this isn't the final mastered retail one, but it's probably pretty close to what we're going to get. Um, I don't know that Xseed has the ability to go through and like make a lot of programming adjustments, because they're mostly doing you know text localization and stuff. So... It, it's a bummer, and I, I've actually tried playing it on my Vita TV as well to see if maybe that would... I don't, I don't know, because they have the same processor, so I don't know why it would have affected it, but they, to me it looks worse than the Vita TV, but that's probably just because it's a smaller image being blown up, and I'm used to the PS3 version looking sharp. So if you're... you know, I, I'm a pretty big frame rate snob in general. Like, if I can get something to run at a smooth frame rate, that's hugely important to me. Like, in Final Fantasy XIV, before I upgraded my graphics card, I always prioritize frame rate over, over graphical fidelity because I would rather have it just run better. So it, it does suck that it runs pretty poorly. I doubt there are any issues with the PS3 version because I played it at E3 and didn't notice any such thing, and I've watched some videos out of curiosity. I was like, does the PS3 version run like this? And it doesn't from what I can tell. So I, thought if, that, I thought that both versions of Cold Steel 1, though, had frame rate problems. They do, but but PS3 version is nowhere near the Vita version. Like, one of the characters that you start the game with, more or less, in Cold Steel 2, his, his S-break, um, it just chugs. Like, it, when it's on the screen, it looks so bad because of how slowly the game is running. So, I don't know. It's it's not a deal-breaker, but it's it's unfortunate. Uh, and just to, to finish the sandwich here, uh, there's a... Oh my god, what was I going to say? Shoot. See? I got so caught up in this that I'm like, oh, I don't even know what I'm saying. Uh, frame wraps. Oh, okay. There's a, a cool thing at the title screen of the game. Um, there's an option that says backstory, and it lets you look through... Uh, it gives you, like, fully voiced... Not fully... Mostly voiced summaries of every chapter in Cold Steel 1, piece by piece, along with character bios that say, like, how the character started out and kind of what their growth trajectory has been so far like, where they are in terms of story, what they've done since they started the game in Cold Steel 1, and, like, you know, what's happening with them at the start of Cold Steel 2. Um, it is absolutely not sufficient as a story primer to get people to start with Cold Steel 2. It is, as far as I can tell, or at least my opinion, is that it is only intended as a refresher for Cold Steel 1. So, like... Oh, nice. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's just uh, you cannot jump into Cold Steel 2 and expect to know what's going on. So, but it, it was great because I actually went through and... Uh, I re-beat Cold Steel 1, like, a week ago. Like, I just reloaded the final battle and beat it again because I wanted to see the ending to be kind of fresh for Cold Steel 2. And uh, you can watch almost all of that uh, from the backstory menu in Cold Steel 2. So you don't have to do that like I did, unless you really want to. 
Um, but it's yeah, it's it's got that's that's a great feature I think. And uh, oh, one more tiny thing is that I complained about how Cold Steel One had a, a cross save function that was in the main menu, not the main menu, but like the the status menu in the game that you couldn't access from the title screen uh, because the first time I played it on my Vita, I had to start a new game and then sort of skip through the introductory cutscenes and then access the menu to say, to load the cross save from there. Uh, they added it to the title screen this time. So it's just a nice little thing if you plan on playing it in between your two systems, you can swap more easily. So, but could you conceivably, if you beat the first game on Vita, would you be able to load it into the second game on PS3, or would you have to have the first game on PS3? I wonder, because I think you would have to, because you have to actually load clear data. Like, you can't load a new game plus file that's already in progress. You have to load the clear file. Eh. So... I don't know that there's any way to upload that from the title screen of Cold Steel 1 because the, the cross-save function isn't there. Because um, I, I own both, so what I was able to do was just... I, I, what I actually had to do was go and um, upload my... like cross-save my data from right before the final boss on PS3 to my Vita, re-beat it on Vita, and then save a clear file there. So that mm-hmm. may be your workaround. It's a little bit of a pain, but... Yeah, Cold Steel 2. I've got it. It's great. Uh, I'll be reviewing it. Uh, my embargo for that is the 6th of September. I can't have anything written before then review-wise, but, uh, well, it'll be up then, so don't worry about it. It's going to be great, I promise, and uh, I hope it continues to make me as excited as it has thus far. I'll probably end up buying it uh, and then playing through Cold Steel 1, taking a break, and then playing Cold Steel 2. I think that's how I'm probably going to do it. Uh might be later in the year because uh, September is going to hit and things are going to get pretty hot and heavy. But you know, I, I don't. Again, I want to go back a second. I'm not saying I didn't like the game. I did like it. I just something made me bounce off of it, and it just it didn't have that hook. It yeah. maybe maybe it was like there wasn't a character I was into or anything. I mean, I, I think Persona Three and Four grabbed me just from the the fact that they were so unique. In the fact that they have modern day settings, like I think that was like okay, that's the hook. That's what that's what got me. And and Cold Steel started off a little tropey, which I'm sure it develops away from that. Derek, you've talked about that. There's actual real depth to all those characters, but from a starting position, it just didn't have anything that really like grabbed my heart and said like okay, we're gonna do this. So yeah, but I it. I, I got the collector's edition right up there, and the uh, the second game will go in there. I'm going to support it. So. Good for you. Yeah. Thumbs up for me. Hey, yes. I'm buying Dragon Quest Seven, aren't I? Support, support Kiseki games because if you support them, we get more of them. Yeah. And, and I really want Zero and Ow to come out here. Me too. And uh, Cold Steel Three was announced, so yes. it was. Yeah. And that's, I want us to get that too. Yeah, that's gonna be for PS4 and maybe Vita. They haven't decided yet. I think at that point I'll just go PS4. Yeah, I will too. Yeah, I mean, I probably will. Well, yeah, especially if, if it's on PS4, how are you going to transfer your save data? I don't know Although, if they do something like with Ease 8, where the Vita version comes out first, mm-hmm. and you have to wait a couple months for the PS4 I version, I won't, yeah. I won't be able to wait. I, don't think I mean, that's probably only going to be in Japan anyway. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, Caitlin, mm-hmm. I would like you to tell me about the Batmans. Now, I love... Batman. Okay, I love that. That was my superhero growing up as a kid, and I am a complete defender of the Nolan Batman trilogy. I, I think Dark Knight uh, Rises has problems. I'm not not saying that it doesn't, but I don't like the the hate 
that has now been directed at those three movies uh, as saying that they have somehow caused the disastrous DC universe. Uh, good Lord, Batman v Superman is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. So I'm I'm a little Batman off Batman. That is saying something. Um, yeah. I'm a little off Batman right now because between Batman v Superman and then the Killing Joke animated movie, I'm a little like. I'm a little Batmaned out, but it seems like reception for the Telltale Batman series has been very positive with Episode One. So what's what's the deal here? What's the deal with the Batmans? <laughs> oh God. Um, well, so my quick my quick answer to your I guess your question would be uh, this is a good Batman. This is not a crappy Batman. This is a good interpretation of uh, classic Batman without some of the bloat that the Nolan verse introduced, um, and then the the train wreck that was the Batman v Superman and other things that we won't mention. Um, but I think I mean I think I speak for all of us when I say I wasn't really expecting Telltale to do Batman. I mean they've done comic books at adaptations before with Walking Dead and Wolf Among Us. But I wasn't expecting him to do such a, an iconic, you know, mm-hmm. well-known comic book character like Batman. But I really think that they did a good job doing justice to the character and the universe and sort of the the duality of Batman. It's not just Batman the superhero; it's Batman and Bruce Wayne. So. I think the first episode is really promising, sets up a really interesting story that I, can, I am looking forward to seeing how it resolves. And it does a, a lot of, I think, really good things. One thing I think that's really well is, obviously, you play as Batman. And your first introduction to Batman is what you might expect from a Telltale game and from a Batman game if you've played the Rocksteady Batmans. It's a brawl sequence. It's a quick-time event-heavy brawl sequence where you fight some thugs and then later on uh, you meet Catwoman for the first time. But that's not the only kind of uh, gameplay you have as Batman. The next time you play Batman, you're in detective mode and you're looking at clues and trying to link pieces of evidence together to recreate a crime scene and figure out what happened. And then later on, you're preparing to storm an enemy stronghold and you need to case the joint and figure out where all the dangerous you know, guys with guns are and then decide how you want to take them out. And you can actually plan your attack uh, with, um, by using different uh, pieces of the uh, local environment, like maybe I'm going to throw this guy into the stairwell or I'm going to battering uh, this light fixture on top of this goon's head. And I thought that was really neat to have, you know, several chunks with Batman and have them all feel and play differently. So it's not just a one note. When you're playing as Batman, you're going to be doing quick time events ad infinitum. Mm-hmm. And also very true to the character, you know, he's he's, you know, he's a brawler, but he's also the world's greatest detective. So I would, you know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't feel like Batman if he didn't get to do some detective work in there. And then another thing that I think again the episode and I hope the entire series does continues to do is to give Bruce Wayne a lot of screen time. He actually uh, the number of scenes and I think just in terms of like the the length of the episode he actually has more screen time than Batman and I think that's a really 
smart move for them to do because it can be really easy to just say, well, a Batman game, people want to play as Batman, so let's just have them play as Batman, and Bruce Wayne is just off, you know, we don't really ever see him or do anything with him. I mean, I love the Arkham games, and that works really well for for that kind of game, but I think especially for, you know, Telltale style, telling a story, it was a really smart idea to have Bruce Wayne be on equal footing as Batman. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, a third thing I think that the, the episode does really well is it's weaving a story between Bruce Wayne and Batman that at first you think they're not they're not connected. Batman is uh, he's in he's uh, he's investigating something to do with Catwoman and it leads him to clash with uh, Carmine uh, Carmine Falcone and it seems like it's completely unrelated but then there's something going on with Bruce Wayne. There's this a scandal that he gets blindsided having to do with his family and he's trying to figure out who's doing it and if it's if it could be true and by the end of the episode you start to realize these things are kind of connected and the preview for the next episode leads me to believe that they are indeed going to uh, continue to sort of intertwine and, and and unravel together and I'm really interested to see who's behind it what happens and how they continue to have those those two sides interact and, and feel like it's all one big story instead of here's Batman, here's what he's doing, here's Bruce Wayne, here's what he's doing, and never the Twix shall meet. Mm-hmm. So very good in that respect, I think. Yeah, and Very I, promising. I think that's a really interesting idea is to go with more of the Bruce Wayne angle. Uh, I really like uh, Batman Arkham Asylum. It's one of my favorite games uh, probably ever. It's really high up there. Uh, I liked Arkham City. I didn't love it. I, I think it was very bloated. Um, and then Arkham Knight, I just avoided at all costs because it just looked like it looked like Arkham City ratcheted up to 11 and that was already enough for me. I was like, nah. But those games were all about Batman and there was very little Bruce Wayne and I think it was actually a really cool idea for Telltale to sort of go in the opposite direction. I think humanizing Batman is one of the best things that has ever been done with the character and showing the duality of him being this crime fighter and being a normal human being is something that the character has gotten away from in recent years. Like it is, I I think this goes back to that one moment in the animated series. Um, I think it was uh, Batman Beyond where uh, this is going to get really nerdy, but just bear with me for a second. But it was this awesome. Oh, no. Nerdy company. I know. But um, there was this really awesome moment where a character, a villain, was screwing with uh, Batman, older Batman. And uh, Terry McGinnis, the new Batman, says, You know, well, how did you know that somebody was screwing with you? And he was like, Well, in my head, I kept calling myself Bruce. Mm-hmm. And, it was like, and it was like, Well, what do you mean? He's like, I don't call myself Bruce in my head. And it was that establishment that, like, he is Batman and Bruce Wayne is his alter ego. I think that that's a cool idea for the character, but it's been majorly overdone. Like, for the past 20 years, that's all they've done with that character is just, oh, Bruce Wayne's just his, like, little caricature. And, like, Christian Bale would fall asleep in meetings and the movies and stuff. But, like, I think the character kind of needs to go back a little bit to being, you know, Bruce Wayne... Like, think about the Bruce Wayne from the uh, the Batman animated movie, Mask of the Phantasm... And there's that really awesome scene where he doesn't want to be Batman anymore. Like, he has a girlfriend. He has a chance at a normal life. 
he has a chance of like having children and he doesn't want to be Batman anymore. And like that's that's a really interesting idea for a character. And at the risk of defending Batman v Superman a little bit, I think murder Batman is actually kind of an interesting idea for the character, but you can't have the oh, he became a dark brooding mass murderer behind the scenes and this is who we're dealing with in this movie. That's not interesting. Like there's no baseline for his character. I don't know why uh, ben Affleck's Batman feels it's totally okay to just chain gun people and just like kill them mercilessly. Like I don't. Oh well. You, on that note, you'll find interesting that the first episode of the Telltale series does give you several different options to be either merciful or absolutely brutal as Batman. And, and that's cool. I, yeah. That that's where I think Batman v Superman got really messed up. I feel like there's maybe a good movie or two of Ben Affleck's Batman kind of turning into a psychopath that might have been an actual interesting take on the character, but instead you just introduce him into this world as, yeah, I'm Batman and I murder people, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Zack Snyder has no patience for the details. Yeah, um, except in Watchmen, where he just decided to make like a 17-hour movie that was kind of meaningless, so... How does that work? I don't know. Uh, so, anywho, I, I'm very happy to hear Telltale's knocking it out with Batman. It sounds like a good start. Uh, Telltale's been kind of hit and miss lately. I know a lot of people weren't really big into Game of Thrones. I myself bounced off of it, and I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan, and I didn't really get into it. Um, I think the Minecraft thing is on episode, like, 7 now or something. Like yeah, they. <laughs> Bob is probably groaning somewhere. Uh, I mean, and they—they've said they want to get all the Batman's out quickly, right? Like, Ed, that could yeah. be really good. Well, yeah. they're doing a really interesting thing with Batman, which is um, the first episode came out digitally this month, but it's uh, there's a disc release coming out next month, September, sometime mid-September. I forget the exact date. And it's not going to be the entire. It's not going to be all five episodes. It's basically going to be a season pass disc that, you know, you put it in and it registers that you have the disc, I guess, and it says, okay, you get access to every episode as they're released. And that's neat because I know sometimes people really want to have a physical release and they have to, in the past, they'd have to wait uh, sometimes for a while after everything's out digitally in order to get access to it. And here, they'll be able to get a disc day one, although it's still, or almost day one, although it's still ultimately is a digital release because they're just going to be downloading episodes as they come out anyway. So it's kind of interesting. Um, we'll see if they keep to their promise of uh, releasing things quickly. I hope so because I'm really interested to see more. But, uh, I mean, they have obviously had major delays in the past, so I wouldn't be, like, super surprised if that happened to Batman too. Uh-huh. Cool. I am. I'm excited. Um, let's see if they keep going with this and they continue oh. to tell a good story. And one, it's a little itty bitty thing, but I think it's really cool. Um, if you hate the fact that Christian Bale, for some inexplicable reason, has to have the super gravelly voice to like mask his Bruce Wayne voice in the movies, there's a good explanation for why Batman's voice sounds different in the Telltale games. He has a voice modulator that he switches on when he goes to interact with people that sort of distorts and makes his voice sound a little bit more imposing. 
And I thought, it's a, a super tiny thing, but that makes so much more sense, especially for a billionaire who has all the toys, to do that than to probably destroy his voice box by going super gravelly. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I don't know. It could be something that they pulled from the comics. I haven't, I don't know. But if not, I am, you can't hear it, but I'm clapping for you, Telltale, because thank you. They tried to do that with Batman v Superman, and it was, uh, yeah, that that movie just I don't I don't I don't want to talk about it. And that movie made me sad. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Uh, Peter, right, uh, that, do, do, consider yourself lucky. You saved yourself two and a half joyless hours of complete and utter drivel. Um, yeah. Uh, Peter, give me your quick hits on I Am Setsuna as we get ready to wrap up the podcast. Uh, you're late to the party on I Am Setsuna, but what do you think? Um, I like it. Uh, for Just for the sake of the listeners, Setsuna is that Tokyo RPG Factory, their first game. It's basically just a riff on, it's a riff on Chrono Trigger. They say they're trying to you know, capture the spirit of classic RPGs. And to a certain extent, it kind of does, but it adds a few weird wrinkles of its own that... I think actually detract from the experience, and it's something I hope that they'll address since they announced their second title just recently. Um, uh, and there's a, and for the most part, I really like the game. I admire its its dedication to cohesiveness. Um, the whole game is in this really snowy environment, and the entire soundtrack is piano. I'm going with that, and on the one hand, that does get a little repetitive after a while, but on the other hand, it's so rare to see a game that is that dedicated to its appearance, so to speak, that I just, I, I, it's hard, I, I really do enjoy that. Um, but my main, my main issues with it just kind of stem mostly from the skill system. Um, we talk, we talk a little bit about, uh, just randomness in video games, and the, the fact that the skill system in Setsuna is in almost entirely random is just—it's really—it's frustrating to me. Yeah, that, and I—I I don't like the uh, the sprite knight as a as a method for obtaining new abilities. Like I, you have to I want have my character to do text. Yeah, I want my characters to permanently learn the text as a thing. Like you can make the sprite knights maybe like a secondary magic type thing. I mean. Just, we were just talking about Cold Steel. That's what Cold Steel does. It has crafts, yeah. which are character-specific abilities, and then arts, which are like the gems that you slot in to give them access to spells that anybody can learn. Yeah. Um, I, w- I would have preferred if Setsuna had done that, but as it is, it's just kind of like... It, because you'll get new Sprite Knight, you know, you got to go through the menu and sell off all your stuff to the NPC, and then you'll get mm-hmm. new Sprite Knight, and it's like, which of these things is worth using? I don't know how strong it is relative to the other things that I already have, and there would be yeah. times later in the game where I would get Sprite Knight put them in and then find that it was like, oh, this is a waste of my time. I don't know. Yeah, no, that 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 happens that happens to me enough that I pretty much haven't changed my loadout like for a couple dungeons now. Um I just add new sprite night when I whenever I unlock a new slot rather than and just to back it up and explain this to you to you, Rob, um Setsuna uses the Chrono Trick trigger combat as a base. Mm. And that base is inherently solid. I mean it's got everything you like about Chrono Trigger. You have a three man party, you have uh, dual text and triple text, um, all those things. It's from a top-down perspective, a kind of position-based. All that, all that stuff is intact. Mm-hmm. Um, where it gets where it gets weird is that they added in sprite knights, which are your, which are kind of like materia, and you can only use text when you have certain sprite knight equipped. 
Um, so that's strike one. And strike two is there is the only way to power up your skills is through a system called fluxes, which occur randomly in battle. Mm. Um, to, and to my there are, now I did get a, a item. The only, in order to equip Sprite Knight and get new techs, you have to equip talismans, which are the only version of armor this game has. And those talismans often will give, they give different flux bonuses in battle, again, completely randomly. But they don't confer any other stat um, abilities aside from being able to see enemy HP occasionally, or they might increase fluxation rate. But the trade-off is that is how many command slots they have because those slots um, determine how many Sprite Knight you can equip and therefore how many abilities you have in battle. So I keep feeling like there's this artificial cap on how much I'm able to do. Like I have to trade off powering up my abilities to have more abilities and be able to get full use of the combat system. Or I can focus on power, I can try to focus on powering up, but that's not a guaranteed thing because fluxes occur randomly. And that it's not a deal breaker, but it's something I really hope they do away with in their next game because it just adds an element of random chance I just I don't jive with. Yeah, I don't like it at all. Like, I got to the end of the game and I barely had any... Like, you can see which... Uh, I forget if it's fluxations or, or which word. It is. They have another system called singularities, which is oh just temporary. God. Those are just temporary buffs in battle, and I don't understand okay. why they're even there. Yeah, because I, I feel like they rarely popped up. First of all, they rarely pop up, and they only last for like ten or twenty seconds. So what's the point? Yeah, and then by the end of the game, I remember there was one character who I kept getting flux stuff on for one of their sprite and I think like something, some one of Neater's text, I don't know, but nobody else ever got anything, and I was like, am I doing something wrong? Because I was constantly using momentum and mm-hmm. utilizing everything else, but and, yeah, and those like, systems are just totally half baked, I think. And like and yeah, it's just like I feel like they added those systems in just to add variety to their game and to try and make it different from Chrono Trigger, but right. in, but in doing so, like it doesn't feel necessary. Like with Chrono, Chrono Trigger is not a pie that you need to add more ingredients to. It is the perfect JRPG. It is the perfect JRPG sandwich. Um, and it's it's just one of those things where I I just feel like they could have been. It, honestly, they would have done better if they just ripped, just stuck harder to the Chrono Trigger riff. Mm-hmm. It's but, almost like it's almost like don't ruin a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And 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 again, I don't think Sefton is a bad game. I'm enjoying it. I uh, there, there's I, I like I said, I really love the visual design. I love how um, because the environments are all snowy, your characters leave little trails in the snow wherever they go, including in combat. That, trails in the snow. Which trails in the second game is that? Oh man, Falcom, take notes. I will. I, um, I will. I will accept that check. Um, but it, it, that, that's just a cute little detail I really appreciate. Um, I don't like the story, I, and the story and characters are kind of weak because once you get past the inciting incident, which is kind of interesting, um, your your main character is basically a mercenary, and you're sent to kill um, a, a village girl for reasons that aren't disclosed to you, and you find out what she is is she's a sacrifice that's supposed to save the world, and you choose not to kill her. You don't have a choice in that incident, which is, it's weird. The game plays around almost like it gives you, like, binary dialogue choices that don't impact the game at all. Right. And because the main character is a silent protagonist, it kind of lessens the impact of you choosing not to carry out your assassination contract. It's not like he has a motive. He's just a silent protag. 
Um, well, and the other problems include the fact that, you know, the person who hires you, I mean, I'm not going to spoil much, but the person who hires you to kill the sacrifice, like, that doesn't pan out to be important, really. It doesn't at all. I actually, I, I, I just got to that part, there, and I thought that I'd missed something. Yeah, that's what I felt like, too. I was like, okay, well, what was the point of that entire, like, weird, they, suspicious, mysterious sequence in the beginning? It, it oh, just, nothing? Okay. It just turns out to be a whole lot of nothing, and um, and it doesn't help, too, that the main thrust of the plot, once you get past that inciting incident, is just the sacrifice must travel to the ancient kingdom with a company of guardians. And only this time there isn't a giant a whale. Yeah, it's just Final Fantasy X. It's the the problem I have with it more than anything. And again, I I liked the game. I reviewed it for the site. Uh, I think I gave it an eighty. Um, that's solid fair. game. That's, that's fair enough. Like, it's just it, it tries to be emotionally resonant and stumbles totally. Like it, it doesn't. It, it frames this fairly, you know, this story that has the potential to be very impactful and doesn't actually make it. It doesn't deliver. Like it's just kind of flat. And I blame it on the writing. I think the writing is is bad. It is. Um, it is very weak. Yeah, the the characters talk. I mean, it's supposed to be this like sort of poetic, melancholy journey, and all of the characters talk like they're just your boring old anime cliches. Like nobody has any real depth, and I don't. I don't know how they it doesn't, feel. it doesn't jive with the setting that well. The, like, yeah, I want to go play FF10 again. <laughs> I think that's the best takeaway from Setsuna. It's not bad. It's exactly the sort of project that I want to see Square Enix make, honestly. So I'm kind of predisposed to it, to give it a fair shake. And I hope that whatever Tokyo RPG Factory puts out next, like, irons out some of these little concerns. Because, I mean, the foundation is solid. It's, just, it's right. a good idea. It's like they've made, they've, they have a good start. Now you got to keep going. Yeah, exactly. If, and if they want to, if they make another game that fixes my problems with Setsuna's combat, and um, but it still has the same level of like visual and just co- thematic cohesion like across the board. Then I think that game could be something really special. Mm-hmm. But as it stands, as it stands, uh, Septon is all right. Cool, cool. Yeah. Well, uh, I hate to put out a short episode to our listeners, but uh, this week is kind of crazy for me, and so we're going to have to actually cut this podcast short. We are still collecting all of your uh, emails, so we will definitely hit those really hard on our next episode. We'll hopefully go a little bit longer. Uh, we're obviously going to have to talk about Deus Ex Mankind Divided. Uh, yes. Super excited to play that. Um mm-hmm. Okay, Caitlin. It's, it's, <laughs> it just came out I, today. So I asked for this. So. We all, we all, did. <laughs> yes. we all did. I, the joke's been there. I mean, it's it's perfect. I got it for PS4, and I'm so mad because Xbox One gets it a few hours early. It's stupid. I don't I, know. I went PC, so and yeah, that's, that's, somebody that's send nice. me a copy of it, please. Thank you. Uh, I'm I'm excited to play it, although I think the entire time I'm playing this, I'm just gonna wish it was Dishonored 2, because I think Dishonored yeah. 2. Uh, you didn't like that's right. You didn't like Dishonored. You're yeah. you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> All that, right, that's that game. That game is so good. And I can be uh, wrong every once in a while. That game, that game looks really good, and also uh, Prey looks like it's going to be the System Shock game that we all wanted uh, Bioshock Infinite to be. So, I I'm, say, won't the new System Shock be the System Shock game we've been waiting for? Well, we haven't seen <laughs> System Shock. We haven't seen System Shock Three. We've seen the remake of One, which I okay, like looks okay, looks okay, like looks all right. 
Um, but uh, Prey actually looks really, really good, and I'm really excited to play that. You can turn into a coffee cup and roll around a table. Anywho, anywho, uh, thanks again for listening to the show. Please give us uh, reviews on iTunes. We do look at those, um, and sometimes they hurt, but we, we do look at those sometimes. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit on the next episode. Uh, but for Derek, Caitlin, and Peter, uh, we will see you all later. See ya. Bye. Thanks for having me.